All right. So our um, our statement that we're looking at, as far as uh, David Amelech is concerned, he makes a statement with regard to Tehillim, and um, it's uh, the the so called the so called parasha that we were working with, Pasha Tazria Tazria Metzora, which talk about the very complex laws of finding discolorations on your um, house, clothing, or person. And as you have some basic knowledge of this particular idea, in the days of old, if a person um, engaged in Loshon Hora too much, uh, if they were stingy or mean, if there was issues of infidelity, if there were, you know, there were a number of different Averot which would bring upon you a, a clap in Hashemayim, so to speak. So Hashem would send down a discoloration that would manifest on your, on your house. So, you know, this strange looking color thing would just be on the front of your house or uh, on your clothing or on your person. That's the basics of Tzarat, which is this uh, biblical uh, description, a lachic description of, of, of leprosy, this discoloration. And what it would normally lead you to do is everything that touches this thing or it, it becomes tame, and you'd have to then purify it in a mikveh so, you know, you'd have to actually take your clothes. Um, once the purification process was finished, you'd have to take those clothes upon which the discoloration landed and you'd have to dip it into the mikvah. So you've got to appreciate over here what this particular law was very much, uh, in, even though in theory it could, it could manifest even today, even outside the land of Israel, but... Um, the, the marks, the discoloration on one's house, that would take place in the land of Israel only. Um, and so there's always discussion about, you know, have you, has anybody ever come across a case of biblical leprosy, you know, in today's day and age? And uh, we don't know too many, you know, cases of such a thing. But what we do know is that this is the basic din, that it makes everything, if the discoloration is on your house and everything is in the, in, still in the house, when the coin comes along and pronounces that there was a, that this is Tzarat and now the whole place is Tame, it, it becomes, uh, everything in the house becomes spiritually Tame. And in order to, you know, use it again um, in, a, in a pure sense, where it wouldn't give off this negative energy and not allow you to go to the temple or eat any of the foods or to even, you know, come close within the, the actual neighborhood in which you live, to avoid quarantine, so to speak, you'd have to dip everything in a mikvah. So um, this is a whole complex scenario of how the Kohen learns the basic colors uh, to be able to differentiate uh, the discoloration, which will have a uh, halachic problem associated with it and ones that are just um, part of nature. And so the whole parasha of Tazria and Torah, you know, introduce us to these set of laws of these, these discolorations, which have halachic ramifications. Now, why, why this background is important is because um, it ties into our opening sentence here, and that is that David HaMelech asked Hashem a, a very specific request, and that is as follows. And he says, he says that um, Hashem, Yiyulratzonim Reifi, and this, I just want to show you where the verse is. So you see some people, this is a, 
a regular photocopy of a, an article Sidur. You can see it's, you know, weekday morning service, regular Shachrit. And just after you finish one Esrayam, so some people say the line over here. And here's the line that we're quoting. There's a quote from King David's Psalms from Tehillim. So the actual words are translated as may the expressions of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart find favor before you Hashem my rock and my redeemer. So the, this, this statement is a very beautiful poetic statement. May the expressions of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart find favor before you. Um, it might be showing our age, but uh, this is where the, do you remember the, the pop group Boney M? Anyway, uh, that's what they sing, right? That's, uh, that's one of the songs that they sing. May the expressions of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart find favor before you. They just have a few slightly different tweaks on the lyrics, but it's the same idea. So um, this is a statement that King David made. Now, it's extracted from the chapter of Tehillim, chapter 19. You see how the, there's a little two over there at the end of the sentence. Whenever there's a number, uh, a little number hiding in the article, Siddur, it's to you know, take you to a reference. And so, yeah, under the line on the English side, they give you the reference. It's Psalm 19, verse 15. Now, the interesting custom is, is that you've just finished davening here, uh, the whole Shemona Yisrael, you've asked Hashem for all your needs, and then you end off this, the, the whole davening with uh, a plea to Hashem that Hashem should take your prayers uh, seriously and, and fulfill your requests. That's what you say. My, you know, my, 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 all my tefillot, all my prayers find favor, le ratzon, ratzon is favor in front of you. Now, the custom number two is to say this line right at the end of the whole davening, which um, you see here, you move on to Elokain et Solosh this, uh, what they call a, you know, a, a, a techina, which is a supplication where you ask Hashem at the end of davening for, for various needs that you may have omitted in the davening. And then, as you see, it says some recite, uh, some recite is over here. After you've put your name in, and just before you say, and you take leave of Hashem, uh, you say this line over here. So different customs as to when to say it. Um, I personally say it right here at the end, um, after everything's said and done. Either way, it's um, it's it's actually some people say it twice, but anyway, it's uh, it becomes a famous ver famous pasuk. Now, when you contemplate on this pasuk, so when we say it, we are saying Hashem, please, you know, find favor in our each of us individuals in our prayer. When David Amelech said it, what was he referring to? So there's a midrash which says as follows that Ash, that King David asked Hashem, he said to him, Yiratzon Imrefi. Imrefi is the the um, expressions of my mouth. And as you well know, King David, his greatest expressions 
were his whole safer to heal him. And so when he put this together and he ended one of his to him, one of his chapters of to him with this line, this line encapsulated something. It said it was a request in front of Hashem that Imraifi, his expressions, the whole book of Sefer Tehillim would be Liratzon, which would be Hashem would find favor. Now, what does it mean for Hashem to find favor in something? So King David asks Hashem, whoever recites the words of Tehillim, you know, it should be considered by Hashem, the words of Tehillim that we say should be considered by Hashem as somebody who is engaged in the, in the study of these very complicated laws of uh, purities and impurities with regard to the various discolorations that may come upon a person who deserves a bit of a, you know, Misha from Shemayim, and uh, it comes upon him. So the Midrash is pretty cryptic because it's Hashem's, uh, in, in the words of the Midrash, King David is saying to Hashem, please consider my Tehillim like you would somebody who is engaged in the laws of purity and impurities, specifically the cases of these Negaim, these and nega literally translated is is a plague, but it, it refers to this spiritual malady of uh, of discoloration. So our job is to really uh, go back to this midrash and um, offer an interpretation of what 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 did it mean? Why did King David compare his tehillim to the subject matter of negaim of uh, discolorations of I guess what they call leprosy? Now, we're going to look at two different comments. And the reason we're going to look at two different comments is because each comment is going to show you how different people, different uh, thinkers over the last few centuries have crystallized opposing viewpoints about major issues within the world of serving Hashem and within the world of, of Yiddishkeit. Um, and uh, it, it gets... It, it just shows you we're not we're not here to say who's right or wrong. Um, each person, I believe, needs to find, you know, the so-called pathway to Yiddishkeit that uh, that does it for them and that turns them into a better servant of Hashem. And we're just the beneficiaries of of these explosive arguments that took place, you know, a couple hundred years ago. Um, and uh, our world today has realized that, you know, the fact that there were these arguments. Um, probably means that there are people out there who um, need different approaches and pathways to Hashem. And, uh, you know, there's no such thing as, you know, one size fits all within uh, ideologies of, of Torah when it comes to choosing a, you know, a, uh, an ideological path. As long as everyone is compliant with Hashem's halacha, then the, path, the pathways that you take need to really um, be chosen by the person as to what makes him or her a better servant of Hashem. And so the reason that I'm bringing these two things, these two viewpoints, is to emphasize, just, you know, educate us on, a, uh, on, 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 on two worldviews about how religious life should proceed. Now, he has, a, he has an interpretation uh, by Reb Chaim of Velozhin, who was the famous Rosh Hashiva of the Velozhin Yeshiva, uh, known as the mother of all modern-day Yeshivot. And uh, we would call it 
you know, pure literature approach, I guess is one way to, to determine this. Um, and you'll see that here is a school of thought, which is uh, dedicated to Torah learning as the be-all and end-all. It sits at the top of the hierarchy of, of, of Jewish ideas and Jewish activities is the study of Torah. And not just Torah to know what to do, but Torah, every bit of Torah is almost given equal weight in terms of the mitzvah of study, whether it's practical or impractical. The mitzvah of Talmud Torah, the actual exercise of engaging in Torah study, um, sees all Torah as an expression of God's will. And even if you don't understand um, how one is, you know, the complex issues, but and what they, and, you know, even if they apply or they don't apply, in the end of the day, if it's in Torah, it has to be, it has to be studied. So this was Reb Chaim Velojana. This was his approach to, um, to putting, to putting in front of everybody a path of uh, of living as a servant of Hashem, and he called it, uh, you know, what we call it Torah Lishma, Torah for Torah's sake. And uh, we have to learn. I've tried to define it a little, but this became one of the biggest controversies uh, between Hasidim, Hasidic thought and Mishnagdisha thought, Litvish thought, which I've just more or less started to describe to you. And so one of the controversial points between the Hasidim and the Mishnagdim was the role of uh, intent, one's intention, uh, Kavana, uh, versus the role of precision um, you know, in an action. The idealistic intent versus the, you know, versus the dikduk, the specific uh, variables of uh, of halacha. So it's a, a bit of a sticking point. I'll just give you give an example to make what I'm saying a little bit relevant. So let's say, for example, as follows: you're gonna you're gonna get up in the morning and you want to go to davening, and you're gonna go to different shuls and you'll find different types of services. So in those days. You know, it wasn't about uh, what tune you were singing. But in those days, the question was as follows. You know, how important is it to daven um, on time, using halachic times uh, to guide you, um, if it would compromise your whole demeanor in the davening? So let's say, for example, the halacha says that at a certain point in time, the the davening that you're davening, shachrit, has to be completed. You must complete this one essay before a certain point in time. Let's just say that point in time is um, tenish, tenish in the morning. Now, in order to finish one essay by ten, so you probably have to start. Uh, you start have to start davening like quarter past nine. So let's say for some for a certain person or community, that's too early to daven on a Shabbos morning. Uh, they'd rather be, you know, have a real sleep in, come to shul, you know, refreshed, having had a cup of coffee or something beforehand, and and then once they once they are all you know awake, and 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 sort of had a basic something to eat, they can daven with much more intention, much more kavana, much more focus much more relaxed. Everybody's got a smile on their face. Whereas if you want to, if you want to have the other point of view, 
it's very nice that you feel good and that your davening, from your point of view, had much more kavana, much more intention, much more focus. But bottom line is, you've passed this man. If you're going to start at 10 o'clock and you have to be by the Shmona Esrei by 10 o'clock, then you've missed this man. You've missed the proper time for davening shachris. So it's, you've had a very nice, rela relaxed, or possibly beautifully deep tefillah, but it's not shachris. It's something that you just did something in the wrong time. You missed the time. So this became a huge issue between Hasidim and, and Misnagdim. The Hasidim laid enormous emphasis on the role of focus, intention, kavona, understanding, you know, um, and, and, and many groups would delay the Shemona Esrei past the halachically required time, you know, in order to ensure properly felt tefillah. Whereas the Misnagdim said, you can't do that. Very nice that you feel good about your davening, but um, it's no longer tefillah. It's not, no longer shachris. You missed the time. This is one example of, you know, does the very specifics of the law, the minutia of the law, does that take precedence over the person's personal feeling or not? And this became a major sticking point between the two groups. Now, when it comes to Torah learning, there's a similar kind of uh, debate. You know, does a, what do you learn? What type of curriculum do you follow? So the prevalent Hasidic approach to learning Torah for Torah's sake um, is learning something that brings you closer to Hashem. And therefore the atmosphere that, that you have or try to create when you're learning is, is based on this. The atmosphere needs to, you know, the conscious goal of the learning needs to be coming closer to Hashem. And that's what a person should have in mind, you know, when learning. So now if, you, if the whole viewpoint, if the whole focus is what we call in Hebrew, dveikut, dveikut is a nice way of saying cleavage uh, to Hashem, uh, devek is glue in Hebrew, dveikut, the, the, you know, the person's, you know, having this emotional tie to Akosh Baruch Hu. That, that, um, that cleaving to Akosh Baruch Hu, to, to Hashem, that would be a, if that is your goal, then the curriculum that you, you know, that you build to be learned and studied in your Torah learning will have a certain, will be defined by this, by this goal. So if, uh, if you're trying to choose subject matter, so what would you choose to discuss? So um, if the ideals are of Torah Lishma, of learning Torah for its own sake, of, of feelings of closeness to Akash Baruch Hu, then the ideal subject matter would be subjects that are conducive to those feelings, as opposed to the more technical and mundane matters of, of Halakha. So Reb Chaim Velozhina took issue with, the, with, with this. He, he's committed to the technical details not being forgotten and, not, and, and being learned, you know, and that's what he thinks Torah Lishma is about. Torah Lishma, as far as Reb Chaim is concerned, is to learn Torah for no other reason than to under, understand God's will in every area of Torah. You know, it, it's a, it can be a very subtle difference when you try to explain it uh, as we're trying to do now. Um, of course, the goal of everybody who's learning Torah 
is to uh, is to bring pl- pl- people closer, you know, to Hashem. But the question is, what is in the forefront of one's consciousness, you know, when 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 doing so? So, um, what you know, what's the atmosphere that accompanies somebody when they when they're learning? Because not all of halakha is conducive to feelings of closeness to Hashem, you know, at the time that you're involved in your halakhic discussion. Um, if you if you're a, if you're a judge on a based in, you're a dayan of sorts, and you're busy, def- you know, you're busy judging a case of, of monetary fraud. So when you when you're judging whether the defendant or the plaintiff is lying, that's not a feeling of closeness to Hashem. If the dayan was focused on coming close to Akosh Baruch Hu, to Hashem, you know, at the same time that he's trying to work out, you know, who he is lying and who's not. Um, he'll probably make a mistake in the in the decision that he makes, but you know there is a rather there's an overarching goal of of coming closer to Hashem by fulfilling His will in each and every scenario as it plays itself out, and in that based in setting he should have nothing else on his mind other than which one of these people are lying. So forget the fancy thoughts of closeness to God when you're busy adjudicating a a, a court case. You need to focus on the actual laws with all the intricacies and trying to work out what, uh, you know, what, what's really happening over here. Now, it's not that, again, I'm not trying to put down any group, um, you know, in how they did it, but just to highlight the different focus and different emphasis that different groups of Jews had. And this became, this split the communities into varying, varying different viewpoints. So, what happens over here is, is that, you know, Reb Chaim Velozhina, who represents the tradition of the Gaon of Vilna, and uh, many of us, our backgrounds are from, from Lithuania, and uh, our great-grandparents were brought up on this, on this idea. They were not, they were not that, um, they were more enamored with being, uh, with seeing Hashem's will in the, in the minutiae and the particularities and be 100% compliance with, Hashem's uh, laws, um, and they put that on the top of the pyramid, and the Hasidim put a certain closeness to God on 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 the pyramid, and there were certain halachic issues that that always came to the forefront of debate as a result of this particular story. And the one about the ones that we just quoted now about davening and learning, these are these are two of the classic differences as to what you learn and how you learn, what when you daven and how you daven. Um, and what you know is what governs you within these contexts. So, as proof to his theory, Reb Chaim Velozhna says he has the midrash. The midrash says that David Amelach asks Hashem that um, that uh, one who's engaged in reading Sefer Tehillim should be as one who studies Negaim, um, as if to say, the, what, what does this mean? It means as follows, you know, um, there are two areas of, of Torah study. There, there's uh, area number one, which is conducive to feelings of closeness to Hashem, like Sefer Tehillim. When you, when you say Tehillim, a person generally engages in the recital of Tehillim when you're looking for favors from above, whether it's in times of crisis, uh, no matter what it be, even in praise of Akash Baruch Hu, but there's Tehillim are the the set of tefillot which, which conjure up 
the the greatest um, sense of emotion or one of the greatest areas of emotion that uh, that we work with. And the reason that this is so is because David Amelech's genius in composing or putting together the Sefer Tehillim, he wasn't the only one who wrote Tehillim, but he's the one who put it all together. What he did was, what he tried to do was to pour all human emotion from whatever scenario is in, in theory possible to pour all of human emotion into the words of the Tehillim. So that when any of us are struggling with any particular issue, you will always ask the question, okay, which of the Tehillim do I say? And then some of the books will tell you, well, if you've, you've got this problem, say this piece of Tehillim. That problem, say that one. Why? Because King David foresaw all these particular human uh, struggles and composed Tehillim to, in a sense, pinpoint and talk to the various struggles that we have. And and this is really, therefore, the, the Sefer Tehillim is the repository of uh, all human emotions and struggles that could be encountered somewhere along the line. They find expression in the words of Tehillim, uh, in, in the very cryptic expressions of Sefer Tehillim. So the, the book of Tehillim is, uh, is the classic book of, uh, of, of Torah, Torah study, um, which is conducive to feelings of closeness to, to Hashem. Whereas Nagaim, the laws that we've, we've just been uh, speaking about, these particularly very difficult, complex laws are almost of no inspirational quality whatsoever. You've got to be really, uh, you've got to be really up there to be inspired by such, uh, such levels of technicality. You know, and therefore, says Reb Chaim, Reb Chaim Velozhna, the Midrash quotes David Amelech is asking Hashem to consider the Sefer Tehillim, the book of all emotion. Please, Hashem says, David Amelech, consider somebody who engages in Sefer Tehillim as if they were as if they were studying the Gaim. You know, as if to say the ultimate expression of Torah Lishma from King David's point of view is that the will to fathom the will of God is to be expressed even in the areas of Nagaim, and that is Torah Lishma. So he's, he's saying that King David is asking that his Tehillim should be upgraded and to the level of somebody learning technicalities. In other words, he's saying that that's the, you know, Nagaim is the ultimate expression of Torah Lishma because it's so technical, so dry. The only reason you're learning it is to know the will of Hashem. And maybe if you work hard, you'll find inspiration there. But it's an example. It's a paradigm of all esoteric, academic, difficult pieces of Torah. Um, but And he wants his Savior to heal him to be like that. That when somebody says to heal him, you know, they should realize that, um, please consider this EQ side of Yiddishkeit, if you will, to be uh, as great as the IQ side of, of, of Yiddishkeit. And that's how Reb Chaim Velozhna interpreted this particular Midrash. Now, let's show you the, a complete different angle. Again, also from a Litvisha uh, thinker. His name is um, Reb Meir Simcha of Dvinsk. We, we often refer to him by the title of his, of his book that he wrote called The Meshachochma. And uh, he has a very... Again, also interesting. He's coming from literature stock. He's not, he's not a, a Hasidic man by any, by any stretch. But 
you know, a tempered way of looking at this compared to Rebchaim of Elojana. And probably this is the, his way of looking at it, you know, is I found very, uh, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's very helpful to us because you'll see he's talking to so many of us um, with regard to Tehillim in, uh, in particular. Uh, and this is how um, the Meshe Chochmah interprets this, uh, this Midrash. When King David asks Hashem that his Sefer Tehillim should be considered by the person who engages in it as if he was engaged in the study of the laws of Negaim, this is what it means. So he says like this. Says the Meshe Chochmah, a person wakes up in the morning and he sees that he has this particular discoloration on the front of his house. And everybody's walking past his house is seeing this strange mark there. And everyone knows this possibly could be Tzarat. But it's only officially Tzarat uh, once the Kohen has been called to come and look at it and actually officially give the Psak, the decision that this really is Tzarat. And from now on, officially, uh, the house is Tameh. But up until such time, they may have all the symptoms, but they're not Tameh until the coin pronounces them Tameh. So what the coin does is, the coin comes down, he has a look at the, the mark on the house, and uh, he keeps it to himself as to what he thinks the mark is. And he says to the owner of the house, if he thinks it's really Tameh, he says to him, okay, read between the lines. I'm telling you to get all your stuff out of the house. Get all your possessions out of the house. I'll wait for you. So then the guy should realize, okay, that the coin's going to say this is a Tameh impure mark. And if I don't get the stuff out the house, then everything that's in the house is going to be Tameh. And that's why he's telling me to do it. And we're sort of playing with this, the actual official rule that the Kohen has to declare a Tameh that um, if he doesn't declare it Tameh, you're okay until he declares it Tameh. So he's giving you a few extra hours to get your stuff out of the house. So take all your things out the house before the coin pronounces Tameh. Otherwise, you'll be spending all day in the mikveh, dipping things in there, making it all Tahor again. So picture the following scenario. In order to know the difference between the, 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 the array of colors that could be Tameh or Tahor, you have to have expertise. So ideally, you want a Kohen to become very proficient in these laws. But what happens if you have a Kohen who's an Amaretz? He's ignorant. He just happens to be born into a Kohen family. This is the Gemara calls a Kohen Amaretz. He has, he's, a, he's, he's, he's an ignorant Kohen. But he, he, you know, he has to, how's he going to pass on the He doesn't know. So he's got to call Sometime with Chacham, he's got to go and find a, a Dain and a Beisdin who knows all the intricacies of the laws, you know, who's not a Kohen, to, to instruct him. So the Talmud Chacham comes down to the house and he sees that the sign is really Tzarat. Um, so he turns to the Kohen and he says to the Kohen, okay, this is Tameh. So the Kohen then announces in front of everybody, people, this house is Tameh, it's Tzarat. It has to be like that. The Talmud Chochem can't say to the public, it's Tzarat. His declaration has no binding nature. Whereas the Kohen just repeats what the Talmud Chochem says. 
and uh, but but the effect is really quite uh, you know quite strong. Without the Kohen declaring that this uh, house is Tamei, even though he has no clue whether it's Tahor or Tamei, he has no clue on its own. He only knows what's going on because the Talmud Chacham is telling him. But um, nevertheless, that's the rule. The rule is that the Kohen has to pronounce and define exactly what it is, and the status of that mark is the, defined by the by the Kohen. Even if he has to ask somebody else for help to understand it. So, says the Meshachokma, a really brilliant Chirush. He says as follows. Negaim, the whole discussion that we've had now about discolorations, it's the perfect paradigm, it's a perfect marshal, as we say, example to express the power of the spoken word because you see that without the declaration nothing happens now let's appreciate Sefer Tehillim composed by David Amelech is to incorporate the gamut of all human emotions now the question is do we presume to understand and fathom you know each one of these expressions in Tehillim the biggest problem with Tehillim is if we're all honest with ourselves, is that we have no clue what we just said. We do our best to try and get a general understanding. English translation helps it about a bit, but if you want to move through the, the chapter of Tehillim at, uh, at a normal speed, you know, you most of the time don't understand what you just said. So the question is, how does Tehillim work then? Can Tehillim work when you have no clue as to what you are saying? So from Rav Chaim point of view, well, if you don't understand what you're saying, they're not too, you know, what are you gaining from the whole process? Maybe, okay, maybe we can justify a little bit, but the honest truth is you're not, you're not really helping much uh, from this experience. You ought to know what you're saying. So, therefore, Chaim Velozhina would say, look, you know, I understand you've come, you've spent time, you've put effort, but if you don't understand it, I don't know how this is going to work for you. However, the Meshach Chochma says, that's exactly what King David was asking Hashem. You know, when when I, when King David asked Hashem that in future generations, anyone who wants to pour out his heart to you, Hashem, through the words of Tehillim, you know, must do so. And we really do have a problem because most people don't understand the words I've just said. However, King David asked Hashem this unbelievable request. He said, even if a person doesn't understand that the words of Tehillim, please consider his words as you do those of the Kohen Amaretz, who although doesn't have the depth of understanding and has to ask the Talmud Chochem as to what the nature, the halachic psak of that mark is, yet only he, the Kohen Amaretz, can affect the change in the status of the person. Only the Kohen can pronounce Tameh. So King David says, may that latent power of the spoken word even if it doesn't have the understanding, have the full power that I have invested in those words of, of Tehillim. And that's how the Mesha Chochmah of Masimcha understands King David's request, you know, uh, to, to Hashem. Now, a, a similar thing happens when we Davin Shmona Esrei. You know, the Gemara, you know, the Gemara has comments about the nature of our Davening, of our Amidah. And the Gemara says that, you know, nothing short of prophecy could provide the perfect words of the Shemona Esrei describing exactly what we need, 
and defining for us our relationship with Hashem. Uh, we have to provide the kavona, the intention, the focus, but uh, the body of the Twitter, you know, needs needs the words of the prophets themselves. And so one of the one of the great people, um, you know, in uh, who's quoted in the Gemara is is a is a rav by the name of Shmuel Katan. He was the only one qualified among the rabbonim, you know, among whom were certain prophets to compose a tefillah against. Um, against uh, the, the the mushumadim, the minim, you know the the, the traders, uh, the snitches. Um, so he he composed it there. Um, but 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 the idea that the Gemara is trying to get across is that um, he uh, you needed somebody who was very great to to provide the words so that we can then put our effort to understand the words and in. And inject our our intention into those into those words. So, same thing. Yeah, David Amelech is saying to Hashem, "I'm going to put every bit of emotion that I can into every bit of Tehillim, and uh, I'm doing it so that when somebody has Taurus and is in a crisis, they should be able to find the words as a vehicle through which to express them, their closeness to you, even if they don't understand." And from the Meshachochmas. The question now is, you know, what did Hashem answer David Amelech? Did he, did he say yes or no? And and the truth is that we don't know. We don't know, or I don't know, whether there's an answer to this question, uh, because I've seen um, I've seen great comments written by great people saying that no, Hashem never answered him, uh, or Hashem said no, that it isn't the same. So the Litvaks felt that saying to him. You can say a few when you need to, but the main thing is to learn. So go back to your learning uh, Torah as opposed to saying to Hillim. And the Hasidic movement and their great people said, you know, no, the Gemara is going to be too dry for the average person. Rather put your effort, not that you should ignore the Gemara, but rather put your major effort into developing closeness with Akash Baruch through the words of the Tehillim. And that becomes now this... Uh, this interesting debate as to where the where the hierarchy sits, and you know, is prayer to be given more investment by us than 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 learning, or vice versa? Anyway, it's up for grabs, and each uh, group of people have their have their viewpoint. But uh, the, if the Meshachochma is right, uh, and you ask yourself often, look, I'm on all these Tehillim groups. I don't know what I'm doing 99 percent of the time. Um, so number one, I would say. At least get a general idea of what you're doing. You know, read the English and then read the Hebrew. So at least you have a general idea what you what you are saying. Uh, but even then, you know, you'll read the English and then you read the Hebrew. You know, two minutes after you read the English, half of these difficult phrases are at your head. But nevertheless, at least you have a general idea. Um, but uh, the Meshachachma is saying that King, if King David was answered in the positive, which it sounds like from his interpretation he was, then... Um, there's a unique blessing that Hashem gave Sefer to him that he would accept prayers from there even if you don't fully understand the words that you are saying. And that was encapsulated by King David asking Hashem to treat the most emotional areas of all prayer, you know, as great as he would teach the expertise and the details of the most esoteric part of, uh, of, of uh, learning, that area of Negaim purities and and impurities. So that is really the idea that we developed uh, over Shabbos. And um, 
yeah, hope it resonates and uh, gives a certain insight into how different viewpoints began to began to, to develop. Okay, so we'll uh, leave it here. And um, I wish you well. And uh, yeah. Thank you, Rebbe. Thank Thanks. you, Rabbi. Okay, no worries at Wonderful. all. Wonderful. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Thank you Rabbi. Thank you, 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 Thank you, Rabbi. Root word of tsaros, that's uh, you know, the um, tsarot or troubles, yeah, uh, tsarats with an iron, you know, uh, uh, okay, the iron ray stuff. So, you know, um, I don't believe it comes from there, no, okay, but from you know, tsarat, tsarot, those are common Hebrew words yeah. in, in Torah, yeah, where, where I think tsaros is Ashkenazi Yiddish pronunciation of it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank all right, you. no worries. All the best. Thank you man. very much. Thanks, Thanks Bye. 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 Bye.